Hey everybody, welcome to episode number four of the Barely Backcountry Podcast. We have another guest interview today. We got Sydney Smith, or maybe better known as as Try No Feet on Instagram. Um, I think we had a pretty good conversation, kind of covered you know, pretty much everything. Um, but before we get into that, uh, if you want to check out the podcast social media, it's at Barely underscore Backcountry underscore podcast on Instagram. If you want to check out my personal Instagram, it's at c.dillashaw on Instagram. Um, If if you listen to the podcast, make sure you give it a like, a follow, a share, all those things. But without any further ado, I'll get you guys into the conversation that I had with Sydney Smith. This is another episode of the Barely Backcountry Podcast. We got another guest on. We got Sydney Smith. Um, Most of you guys might know him on Instagram as Try No Feet, Um, but he's an outdoorsman, Ironman. Um, we'll kind of get into his story, but Sydney, if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself and, and then we'll get into all that stuff. Yes. Well, you, you kind of got it all down in a nutshell. Uh, I, I am not a vegan. Uh, I know some people may think that way, but I am not a vegan. Um, <laughs> I do like uh, guns and I do like, I like to shoot guns. Uh, I like uh, hunting, fishing, hiking. Um, I love my family. Uh, I love God. I love uh, my legs. I got some pretty cool prosthetic legs. And uh, overall, I just I just love life. Like I don't really have a um, a thing to hate, you know. Yeah. Other than I I uh, you know I I'm sad to see that my Dallas Cowboys aren't doing good. That's probably the only thing that's kind of bummed <laughs> me out right now. So yeah. So how did you become a Cowboys fan? Because you're in Utah. So where did that come uh, from? Uh, well, it's because there's not like growing up, everybody was a Steve Young fan, okay. and I was like, oh, I, I had uh, a family in Texas, and so I'm like, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna, I want to be a, a like a team that's doing awesome. And at the time, mm-hmm. you know, Troy Aikman and Michael Irvin and Emmitt Smith was doing awesome. So I was like, all right, I'm a Cowboys fan. And then it just stuck. But what was ironic is like they really, other than like they've you know been okay. But after that, they never went back to the glory days. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. But, cool. So, yeah. I guess growing up, I mean, how did you get into the outdoors? Like, what, what kind of was that something from the beginning, or something later in life? Or, yeah, I, I grew up in the outdoors. Uh, I mean, I wasn't born in it. Like, I, you know, we're not, we weren't like, uh, you know, born in a teepee or nothing like that. But <laughs> I, uh, I grew up in Provo. Okay. Um, and uh, my my parents uh, come well. Generally, they come from uh, Southern Utah, and so it's just a family tradition. Like you know, just growing up, that was what we did was the deer hunt. Um, yeah, is where it all started. That was my my first experience. Really, was the deer hunt, and it was just a family tradition. It was something that my dad and I to this day just to have a really close bond is hunting. And uh, he took me as a little boy, and I, we, I went with his dad, my grandpa, and even uh, my grandpa's dad. So wow. we had four generations, and we hunted on the same mountain down in Circleville for years and years and years. In fact, one of the deer that I have, had shot, um, we at a, a nearby tree had my great-grandpa's initials that he carved in hmm. uh, that was around my age. So, I mean, it, it goes way back, and... And uh, it, it's just kind of a, you know, family tradition. And it's something that I pass on to my son, too. 
uh, that's kind of where it started with the outdoors. And then, you know, being a boy scout and, you know, it, it's just a passion that I like is, is hiking and being in the, you know, camping. It's, it's just my way of spending time with my family that I enjoy and they enjoy. And we hope to keep the same tradition alive. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I was watching your, uh, that, documentary first light did on you the other night when i was kind of researching for this podcast and so you said in that in that documentary that around what eight or nine years old is when you got your diagnosis or yeah yeah i was i was born with a disease um called charcot marie tooth it's a muscular dystrophy um and then it affects uh pretty much it affects everybody different some is more (laughs) aggressive like mine was very aggressive uh, and it, it affects the way my feet uh, develop and um, it would actually deform them. And then, of course, the, the muscles would stop working. So it would create atrophy and then the structure was gone. And so I'd get yeah. like broken feet and, and I, I had lots of surgeries, um, you know, lots of uh, reconstructive surgeries to try to fix the problem. But it, it just it just never worked. And so. It, as a young boy, I, I actually had decent feet, and it wasn't until I turned eight that they started to deform, and then that's when the doctors, you know, did some testing, and they're like, "Yeah, yeah, you got this disease." So, okay. sucks to suck. <laughs> so, how did that like, like once you got that? Obviously, you were younger. So, how did that like affect like you growing up, your life in the outdoors? Did that kind of put a stop to it for a while, or you kept um, going through it? Not re- uh, yes and no. So, like, scouting was pretty tough because, like, one of the things that we did as Boy Scouts or young men in our church was what that we climbed King's Peak. And okay. that was, like, the big thing. And I couldn't go on that physically. Mm-hmm. It was, it was it, it impossible. It wasn't until after I got prosthetics that I actually, you know, and, you know, I'm a 36, 37-year-old man that I get to do that. But yeah. uh, as far as, like, hunting goes – you know, we had horses, my, uh, my uncle and my grandpa, they all had horses. And so that's how we, we would hunt was on horseback. And so hiking wasn't like a huge thing that I had to do. Um, and then of course, ATVs came out, but even then, you know, it was a lot of road hunting. Um, you know, I didn't get into the backpacking stuff and until, you know, after I became an amputee. Okay. So between then and kind of when you did go with the amputation is there anything important you want to talk about in that gap before we start getting into what's more you know more uh i guess modern era or what's more recent well i mean i guess what kind of lead led up to my story until that you know point until i guess there's two parts of my life you know the first half you know i you know as a child you know you know bullied and struggled to do things physically sports and, you know, I, you know, emotionally, it was kind of hard to have the confidence. And then, uh, you know, got, went on an LDS mission. I went to Montana. I uh, came back, went to BYU, Idaho, met my wife. We started our family down in Lake Powell, um, you know, just kind of a young father. And then that's where things really started declining, like physically, like when I hit 30, um, okay. it got pretty difficult to walk and, and so forth. And, I uh, still try to do, you know, hunt the best I could, but, you know, every year was more limited. And then when I turned about uh, 33 is when the doctors are like, oh, wow, yeah, you, the, the your 
foot situation is pretty bad. And we've already done like 10 different surgeries. So there's not much more that could be um, mm-hmm. other than if I wanted to you know, do a wheelchair or uh, and keep my feet or we could try prosthetics. And so um, in 2015 was the year that um, we made that decision to, to do the final operation, so to speak, and um, yeah. amputate the leg. So was that a was that a pretty easy decision to make, or did you have to? That was a tough one for you. Or? Uh, well, it, yeah, there were some parts about it that was kind of a relief. Yeah, because you know, I you try so hard to yeah to be a provider, and I was like feel like and I was losing my life. You know, I my kids were getting older and I couldn't keep up with them. And yeah. so deep down, I was like, golly, there's got to be a solution. And when you're in pain, you know, that when I had my feet, I was in pain all the time. And mm-hmm. I would not take pain pills because I've just seen it ruin so many lives. I, yeah. Other than ibuprofen or, you know, if I had surgery, I would take, you know, the, what the doctor recommended. But I wouldn't go any further than that. And so <laughs> I, I just was like dying for some kind of relief that, or something. I mean, I, it got to the point where I was just so frustrated. I was like, I don't care. Cut them off. Just throw mm-hmm. them to the, throw them to the wolves. I don't need them. And so there's part, that part was um, easy. Like it was, I was excited about, but then the other part was like, I live in a town called Vernal, Utah. And I, and I still do at the time I, I did. And I still do now, but I didn't know any amputees. So I didn't know what the process was like. I didn't know, you know, what to expect, what it felt like, you know, how hard is it going to be? I didn't know the extent of, you know, prosthetics, you know, down the road. Is it, you know, what kind of expenses am I going to have financially to keep prosthetic? I didn't know, um, you know, really anything what that included. Mm-hmm. And so the fear of the unknown was probably what was making me feel uh, hesitant but it, you know it was something that we got obviously a doc you know a couple doctors opinions it's something that we uh when i say we me and my wife because this is a big deal for her uh we pro- both prayed about you know it's something i contemplated and you know i wouldn't say so to speak vision but when i started thinking about it the more i felt deep inside like this is this is this is the path and yeah. so once i had that confirmation um that's when i'm like okay yeah let's do it and i felt good about it uh you know i i knew i was going to be hard i knew i was going to miss things that i you know that you know think little things like you know the feeling of cold grass or sitting on your toes on the beach or you know people looking at you differently it's all those kind of things you know i knew was going to be different uh but overall i just like it just felt like it was the going to be the right decision and you and even though i knew it wasn't going to be easy yeah yeah definitely how uh how long was that recovery until you were able to i guess get you know to where you were walking somewhat you know getting back to where you were uh it was it was up and down like i i i talked to a lot of amputees now like almost on not you know about every other day i'm talking to amputees that are new um and and i feel like i am blessed that i was able to grasp on 
the recovery fairly well. I had, you know, some bumps in the road. Like, uh, for example, after my first, I, I amputated one uh, to left foot first, right foot later. But the reason why I did the left, you know, one first, because I, I wanted to get around on crutches instead of a wheelchair in the beginning because mm-hmm. because just because for work i was still working and my house isn't wide enough for wheelchair but yeah. i i i had the first amputation and then it got infected down the road and then when it got infected that was like rock bottom for me because you know i i again the whole thing of fear sunk in and then it started just playing with my head because then it was like well you know this is what your life's going to be like even though you think that you were done with you know your your amputation is your last surgery you'll ever have you know boy are you wrong and so all these false things started going in my head and telling myself you know that you know you're never going to be good enough you're always going to have financial burdens to your family your wife's going to have to take care of you she's going to be a caregiver she'll probably end up leaving you You she's not going to find you attractive anymore because you're constantly in a hospital bed your kids aren't going to play with you you're not going to have a relationship with them and so you just say all these things started going into my mind that was kind of the big mental block, uh, but when the doctor said, "Yeah, we got to uh, get this infection in order to save the rest of your your body or your knees and so forth," we're going to have to amputate some of the bone a little yeah. higher because it got infected. And at yeah. that point, that's when I said, "You know what? Let's let's just you know take the bull by the horns and and get this all over with." And and so we decided that to amputate them both at the same time. So they, they did, we did the left and then they did the right at the same time. So, okay. Interesting. So then, yeah, sorry to answer your question. It it was about, it was about a year until I felt pretty confident where I didn't start thinking about prosthetics. It just became normal. Like, okay. I don't know if you wear glasses or anything like that, but like, you know, people that put on contacts, it just becomes a normal routine where they don't think about it. Mm-hmm. And so I think at my year point is where I felt pretty confident. But uh, I picked up like the, the, uh, the mechanics and how to uh, adjust for different things and, you know, getting a good relationship with my prophetess, my leg maker. Mm-hmm. That I was, I was able to walk within three months and I was able to run within five months. Which wow. is pretty high. Like I talked, yeah. like I said, I talked to a lot of amputees. That's not very um, common to be running that soon. But I, I got, I got pretty lucky as far as you know. And, and I definitely, with all the pain that I've had in my life, I have a, I have a pretty high tolerance for pain anyway. So I pushed, pushed through a lot, a lot just to, to get used to walking and running and, and and riding a bike and just you know dealing with two prosthetic legs. Yeah. At what point during that recovery did you make the decision you wanted to do an Ironman? In the beginning, uh, on the so when they cut off both of the legs, so when I became a double, mm-hmm. um, it was so it would have been November 2015. Um, it was on TV that the broadcast of the Ironman, and it just I I didn't even know what really a triathlon was. I knew it had something to do with running something like that but i didn't know like the distances and and so when i was watching it and they were there you know the announcers are explaining what the the race is you know you have 17 hours to complete 140.6 miles which consists of 
you know, a 2.4 mile swim, a 112 mile bike ride, and then a 26.2 mile run. And uh, I was like, oh my gosh, that's insane. And it, I was just glued because I thought that is the thing. And I, you know, sometimes when you, you see stuff like that, your mind, my, at least my mind was just fantasizing what, you know, wouldn't that be cool? You know, if I, you know, if I was given, you know, magical legs and I could do that. And so I just started thinking and fantasizing and, you know, just, you know, like, like when, you know, I don't know if you ever fantasize, what would you do if you won the lottery and, you know, you'll, all the things that you would do it, that's the same thing concept that I was going through my mind is like, golly, I, I could do this and this and this, but an Ironman would be something I would love to do. And, and when I was watching it, um, there was an amputee, he was just missing one leg, but he was running. Um, and I was like, oh, and like I said, I don't know. I didn't know the capabilities of an amputee from this little small town that I'm in. Yeah. And so I was like, golly, you know, maybe that's something I could do. And after doing some research, I was like, golly, yeah, it, it's doable. And it was just whatever, for some reason, I just felt compelled, inspired, whatever you want to call it, that that's what I was going to work my way to. And just, you know, it was a big goal. And I've never even ran a 5K. So I had <laughs> I had no idea really what myself I was getting myself into. But I knew that was just, I just felt like that's what I needed to do to, to keep myself motivated and driven and, and just have this purpose to, to, uh, uh, to do an Ironman. And, 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 and that way I'm not, you know, constantly thinking about, you know, well, what was me? I don't have legs. I mm -hmm. didn't have time for that. I just, I knew I had to figure out how to walk, how to run and then start training. Yeah. How long was it from when you set that goal to when you actually did it? Four years. Wow. That's impressive to stay that like dedicated to it for that long. Yeah. yeah I, it, uh, I mean, it was just, just like any big goal. Yeah. Like it, it you know, if, if I went from, you know, the hospital bed to, all right, I'm, you know, I booked my trip to the Ironman. I paid for my registration I don't know if I would have been able to do that yeah. uh, because it, it's just so huge of a goal. So, so make sure I hear that I, right. You basically signed up for the Ironman when you were still in the hospital. No, 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 no. Okay. That's... I did. I didn't. And and if I did, I, I don't know what the outcome would have turned out to be. Okay. I had, I had the goal to do it. I just didn't know when. And so what I ended up doing is instead of just getting so overwhelmed with this giant goal, even though it was the goal in mind, you know, whether you want to call it your five-year plan, 10-year plan, I, I made it a goal to do it, but I needed to do something first. So my first goal was to learn how to walk, learn how to swim without legs, learn how to ride a bike. And then I did my first 5k. And then at my five five month mark is when I did my first um, triathlon, which was just a small, small piece of what an Ironman consists of. So it was a, what they call a sprint triathlon. So it, it's about a mile or excuse me, a half mile swim, a uh, 12 to 14 mile bike ride. And then you run for a 5k. So okay. I mean, it's, it, it, it was a challenge, definitely freaking hard for me because it was, you know, 
a 34 year old man trying to figure out how to, you know, use muscles that he's never really used yeah. and, it, and, and so forth. But that was where it began. And then, you know, I moved on to 10 K's and then half marathons and then I did a marathon and then I worked to Olympic triathlons and then I did that, uh, you know, about five different half Ironmans. And then finally, you know, in 2018 is when I booked or signed up for the race in 2019. So I gave myself a whole year to train for an Ironman. Okay. What did that training program look like? Like once you had it, once you were officially training for the Ironman, what did that training look like? It, it was pretty conservative to be honest. Um, and, and the reason why is like, so I, I decided to go all out. I, I bought me a bike trainer. So that way I'm, I'm training inside. Um, so I don't, you know, run risks of crashing my bike and getting hurt. Um, and then I hired a coach and I, I looked for a coach that had experience with uh, prosthetics. And so there was a, uh, his name is um, Andrew Stasininos. He's uh, actually down in Salt Lake, but they had an organization, him and his friend, that worked with a lot of Paralympians and other uh, uh, triathletes that had, you know, impairments, whether it be missing a hand or a leg or so forth. And so I wanted to, you know, get that coach and he, he, we worked really conservative where, you know, we didn't want to abuse the running because the running is the hardest. It does the most abuse on your legs. Um, And, and I need, you know, I needed obviously a lot of recovery. So we just started out small. And then started working our way up to the point where, you know, when I was training in, I say peak time, I was anywhere from 25 to 30 hours a week. And then, you know, on my big train days were about eight to nine hours on a big train day. So like a Saturday would be just a long ass bike ride and then run for a long time too. Okay. Makes sense. So then real quick, just kind of run me through the actual Ironman itself. Like, how did that go? How did you, you know, stay in it mentally, physically, all that? Yeah, it, it was a fun race. Like, I, I, I tell you what, like, when doing an Ironman, you know, you, when you people spectated or never done one before, it is pretty inspiring to see. But what you don't see is that, like, the race is, itself is just icing on the cake the the hard work and the mental toughness is really developed in the training because you know your body is so tired and then you got to turn around and train in the next day and the next day and then you know you'll have injuries and i actually had an infection uh that needed surgery halfway through the race that almost put me out of it and so that was probably i i can't talk about the race without saying like it's the real story is like leading up to it uh, but when it came to race day, I mean, it was, it was a huge, huge emotional thing. Like uh, the night before the race, we had a, a dinner and I got to meet, you know, all the other racers. There's three other, 3000 other racers that day. And um, they, they were able to honor me because, it, you know, it's a big deal for someone to do it and not just one, but two prosthetics. And there's only been a couple other guys to do it. Um, and I got to meet Mike Riley. He's the voice of Ironman, which, you know, any triathlete knows who this guy is. It's, it's when you cross the finish line of the Ironman, there's a, the announcer that says your name, you know, Sidney Smith or Caleb, he goes, you are an Ironman. And it's just, it's a very 
distinct voice that people, you know, use as motivation. So to, to, to do an Ironman so they can hear their name announced by this Mike Riley and, um, you know, very, very nice guy. So I got to meet him, um, on race day, uh, the swim was pretty good. It, you know, that's my, that's my best event is the swimming, uh, just cause I swam in high school and, um, it was in the ocean. So that was kind of a new thing for a, you know, country boy. Yeah. Um, you know, I avoided all the jellyfish, but it was just kind of a, a weird feeling to swim with salt water and, and there were some stingrays, uh, below <laughs> me that was kind of intimidating. Uh, and then, you know, when I got out of the water, I jumped on the bike. Uh, that's what I focused most of my training on because that's, uh, I knew if I could finish the bike quickly and efficiently, meaning like I can conserve a lot of energy on it, then I could <laughs> spend the time on the run. And that was the most, um, the, my, my, my biggest struggle uh, is the running uh, just, just because it's, it's hard it's on prosthetics and, you know, people think that having uh, these robot legs that they just do the work for themselves, and it's the complete opposite. You basically, for a double amputee, the energy that you put into it is as equivalent to going one and a half times the distance because wow. that's how much energy you lose. And so we wanted to spend as much time on the run as possible. And, 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 and it worked out as far as, I needed that extra time because towards the end, I started having some, uh, that adrenaline started failing. My energy levels started failing. Um, I started, I could, um, absorb nutrition. So I started throwing up, um, and then I was feeling dizzy and, um, and then I started getting inflammation in my stumps. And so it was like, like I took my leg off and there was just like all kinds of blood and I had all these blisters and, I just, I, my stumps were just getting so big that it, it hurt to even have my leg on. It felt like someone was sitting on them or choking them. Uh, but it was, I guess what got me through the race was towards the end. I just got to the point where I was like, oh, Lee, you know, I, I have about seven miles left to run. I said, I just need to push myself through, um, you know, this pain. And, and so I tried to distract the negativity of, you know, oh, am I going to finish the race or you know, this hurts and, you know, you're running out of time and you still have all this time left, you know, this distance left. And so I started thinking of things that are, that I like, things that I love, things that I was grateful for, like my family. That's usually uh, a very easy one because I do have, you know, amazing family. I have four kids. I have a beautiful wife. I have a great job. I, you know, and then I, you know, I get to do a lot of the things I love is, you know, I'm super grateful for all the people that I've met in my life because of my, you know, prosthetics and, and I started to be thankful for the abilities that I do have. So like my eyesight and my hands and, you know, you know, that I have a beating heart. And so, you know, and then it got to the point where I started thinking of my legs and, and, you know, even though they hurt, I was grateful that I had them because it, the pain and, the perseverance that I have learned as being a double amputee and, and, and even this disease growing up that I used to think as a curse was now I was looking at it for the first time as a blessing. It's like, Kali, you know, if it wasn't for this, I wouldn't even be doing an Ironman. I wouldn't be inspired for this. Or if it wasn't for 
um, you know, my prosthetic legs, I wouldn't learn so much about patients. And therefore, you know, I wouldn't be, you know, of a good uh, spouse to my wife or, or uh, um, an employer, employee to my boss. And it's just all these thoughts were going through my mind. And, 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 and I don't know how it happened. This was running during this whole time. It just went into this you know, autopilot mode. And then I finished uh, the race and I don't even know how I finished, got to those miles. It was just a blur. I just, boom, I'm there at the finish line. It's just, it was one of those surreal feelings. Wow. <clears throat> yeah, definitely. So I guess getting away from the Ironman stuff, unless there's something else you want to talk about on that real quick, but we kind of go into the hunting and all that, you know, after you got your prosthetics, did you have to like change your, tactics or anything like that or did that you know then allow you to get back to the hunting you like to do more off the road and off the path and all that yeah no it it gave me the confidence like golly if i can run that far why can i hike that far um and you know i had the endurance and the energy and it just like anything it, it it's something that i've always wanted to do but it's like oh you know i couldn't right you know it was something that was just so hard to go even a mile um, but now with these, you know, the ability with prosthetics, it, it just opened this door. So it was just all new to me. And then, you know, the better I got with prosthetics, the more confidence I got. And then I was like, oh, you know, maybe I, I could, you know, put down the rifle and pick up a bow. And so that's when I started hunting with archery equipment was actually after uh, my amputation. Uh, so I got into the backpack hunting. Um, you know, I still hunt with the rifle and the muzzleloader. Um, and, and, and so I, you know, I didn't put that away, but, uh, it just, again, is just one of those things, especially with archery, just like the Ironman, you have this, you know, goal or something that's challenged you so much that it distracts you from the things in the world that, uh, you know, that, um, that can give you a net negative impact if you are constantly thinking about it. But having like hunting and that and and it gives you that challenge. Um, it's it's you know it's almost like that carrot in front of the horse. It just gives you this drive and and uh, that's what I love about hunting. Yeah, yeah, I agree for sure. But so you said you just got into archery hunting somewhat recently. Well, yeah, I mean I've been an amputee now seven years, uh, so I would say it would have been that first year is when I started picking up a bow, shooting in the backyard a bunch. Yeah, um, and I mean I didn't have a mentor. I wish I did because <laughs> I would have uh, I would have picked up you know dropped some bad habits. Uh, but a lot of it was just YouTube, learning how to shoot a bow, watching mm -hmm. YouTube videos. Yeah. Uh, so, but yeah, I I do love it. That's probably my favorite of the three. Um, just because it's, you know, I love to shoot bows. It's relaxing. It's, it's, uh, meditation, that kind of stuff. Yeah. How long did it take you to have some success with a bow? Oh, that's a good question. So let's see, hold on. My first bow would have been about a year and a half. I got a nice, nice four by five, um, uh, velvet buck in general Utah. Okay. Um, that was my first. And then that following winter, I smoked a really nice white tail down in Texas. Um, and he's still my only animal that I have mounted, uh, shoulder mounted wise. But yeah, I, I, I was pretty happy about that book. Um, 
you know, what, you know, what down, down in Texas. And then, um, so yeah, it was about a year and a half. Okay. Nice. Yeah. I think it was, I think it was about the same for me. I think I, it took me a year or two to get my first archery kill with a cow elk. Oh, nice. But then I haven't had one since then. And that was two, three years ago. So that for anybody that does an archery hunt, that kind of tells you how hard archery hunting is. It is. Like I said, it's, I know people that go for a long time. In fact, I have a guy or my brother-in-law, he ended up just buying a depredation doe tag. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah, I just need to shoot something with my bow. And after that, that following fall, he shot a bull and a cow with his bow. So it can be done. It's yeah. just sometimes it's just getting over that hump or the more you, the more you hunt, the more you, you your chances increase. Absolutely. Um, what about, I saw you had, you got an elk this year, right? Was that with your bow or was that with a rifle? That was with my rifle. So with Utah, uh, there are some dates that they allow for disability. Um, so you have to have certain qualifications, but you can hunt rifle during certain times of the year. Um, and I mean, I, I could have shot him with my bow, uh, but it just so happens that he was right there and I had to pull the trigger and yeah. boom. But yeah, that it was good. It was nice. I uh, um, I have hunted. La- last year, I hunted and hunted and hunted a lot, and even with the disability tag and muzzle loader and rifle and 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 uh, the three season tag, I couldn't I couldn't get it done. So it felt good to finally get to get a get an elk, and I didn't get one last year. Yeah. For sure. Um, you got any more hunts this year? Or are you done for the year? No, I do have a few more. So I just, I, I got my muzzleloader buck this year. Um, nice. I'm on that dedicated hunter program. So next okay. year I'll get to draw another tag, and but it'll be the last one for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, this is Utah. And then uh, I have a Colorado elk fourth season. Um, and then I have a... Uh, I like to hunt birds, so I have a uh, a drawthar, a bird dog, and so this or tomorrow is the youth pheasant hunt. So my son, he's four, 13, and so we're gonna go try to shoot a few pheasants, and then um, we'll just be probably doing pheasants almost all of November, okay, um, and then uh, and so forth. But it should be done. Uh, I, I do like the waterfowl. I don't have the gear. So I, I usually try to find a friend that's got the gear. Um, <laughs> I do like to ice fish. Um, I'm not doing white tail this year. I decided this to save my money and I'm going to go and do my first bear hunt in the spring. Very nice. So where are you going? That? It's actually in Manitoba. Uh, wow. Yeah. I, I, uh, they, when they finally re, um, lifted up the vaccine yeah. requirements, uh, knock on wood because they can always change it. I yeah. watch them change it when I get there, and then I'll be forever a Canadian. Uh, <laughs> eh? Yeah. Uh, so I, I, uh, that'll be a first time experience. That will be with my recurve. Um, wow. I'll try to try that with the recurve. My friend of mine, he owns a saddle, trophy line saddles. Um, and so I'm going to go hunt with him. So we're going to try to hunt, uh, bear out of the saddle. So that's, nice. that's on the books. I'm really, excited and nervous because i've seen bear 
I've never really had, you know, a grizzly encounter or nothing like that, but they're pretty intense animals. Like I've seen them hunting, yeah. hiking, but I, I mean, they're, you know, black bears a little more timid than anything, but the bears that I've seen that they have up in Canada, it's like, Oh, that thing is huge, huge, yeah. huge, huge. So there's a, there's an intensity factor, but that's what I like. I like the challenge. It's, you know, it's going to be fun. Yeah. Is this your first hunt with a recurve? Yeah, I uh, no, I went and um, tried my recurve a couple times with uh, my uh, general elk, which okay. basically um, archery elk is is another way of saying in Utah, general archery elk is like taking a walk with your bow. It's just, yeah. that's just what it is, you know, taking some pretty sunset pictures. That's what a general archery elk looks hunt looks like. <laughs> You don't even need to bring arrows. <laughs> Sounds like 95% of my hunts, so I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. Pretty sunset pictures. Yep. Yeah, that's that's how you know. When you see the sunset picture on Instagram, that's how you know somebody didn't kill anything. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. true. At least they're out there. Yep. At least you're out there trying. But yeah. So now I've been seeing on your social media and stuff, you do work with, was it Disabled Outdoorsman in Utah? Yeah, yeah. So I'm one of the founders for the chapter here in Utah. Um, we started it about four years ago, um, and it, it's a it's a nonprofit organization. Um, a friend of mine in Texas. Um, and that's where you know when I shot my whitetail, uh, it was with him down there. And then when we brought it, the organization, we we branched and 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 did one in Utah to focus on you know elk and mule deer and other you know fishing stuff like that but yeah we we provide opportunities not just hunting but we do camping and we did a little scuba diving event one time and uh atv utv rides um just anything really outdoors uh hunting is probably what we emphasize on because we uh, a lot of the people in my board now uh we are all hunters uh it's a it's probably the coolest experience because it's you know it's something that generated for how I feel about the outdoors and what our, our mission is, is is basically it's a something that we could teach somebody to get the confidence that they need to do it. You know, we want them to do it by themselves eventually and inspire other people. So they have this, you know, lifestyle. It's like, we don't, you know, a lot of organizations out there, they do provide an experience where you just show up and pull, pull the trigger, so to speak know we do want you to pull the trigger obviously but we also want to get you behind it you know show you what the country looks like have the opportunity to you know if we have a tag in an area we try to get you in touch with the landowner or the unit and have you scout it you know we have we have people that help to do all that stuff but you know look at different animals and even to the the end you know teach them how to skin and process so that way they can feel confident to do it on their own um and it it, we just had some unique miracles people that have suffered with depression because of their um disability they thought oh i can't do all the stuff that i want to or even especially for males males um you know they feel like they need to provide and what better way or what more epic way to provide than to put food on the table that you kill and so for someone that's in a chair or in a prosthetic that at one point thought that they could never contribute now they can and so that's 
that's kind of what we emphasize is, is just changing lives. And we do all kinds of cool events. We do things, you know, opportunities for youth uh, where we do like, uh, you know, fishing, ice fishing. We got one plan next year. We do a shed hunt where we've had people from all over the country and state donate sheds. And we go to a, you know, property that even has native sheds and we, you know, the sheds, um, uh, and, you know, we don't obviously tell the youth that they think that this is a gold mine, (laughs) but we'll, 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 we'll round up by the end of the day, we'll round up almost 300 sheds in a day, um, from all the donations and even from the native sheds on this prop, these properties. And so, and we have, we work with a company called Compassion Mobility, who's the, um, they, um, they're the number one uh, dealer for um, track chairs, which are those tank-looking chairs that they are basically like they're electric tanks. Really, they go anywhere. Yeah. And so we put these kids in these track chairs, and they go and they scoop up these sheds and they strap the the sheds to the back. So it, it it's an awesome experience because they just definitely. Um, uh, they just slide up. I mean, and, and they're so emotional about it. Like, for example, you know, a, a kid or a youth or even someone that's disabled, let's say they shoot uh, antelope bedeau, which to some people is equivalent to a squirrel. Yeah. Because it's just like, oh, yeah, oof, an antelope doe, wow. <laughs> but yeah. to them, it's like you shooting a 200-inch mule deer or a 400-inch bull. I mean, they're in tears. They're just ecstatic. They think it's the coolest thing. And they're like, oh, my gosh, I did it. I did it. I did it. Or if they find a shed, you know, that's something that they've always wanted to do. And so then you get youth that are just in tears about finding an elk shed, their first elk shed. And it's just, yeah, I love, love it. I mean, I wish I could do this nonprofit organization uh, full time. But, you know, it's. Nonprofits are hard to, to do that, but we are, we're growing every year. We're growing and maybe that might happen. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if somebody has somebody, a kid or a family member that is disabled, how do they get them involved in that program? I'm glad you asked that. It, it's awesome. So there's a couple ways of doing it and I, I'm going to put what we, what, what is suggested. And then I'm going to give you my recommendation too. So what I suggest is two things. One we want to get your contact information. So you want to go to our website, which is www.doutah.org. So D-O-U-T-A-H dot O-R-G. And on the link, you'll see Become an Outdoorsman. That's how you can get kind of into our contacts. We can learn a little bit about you, what kind of limitations you have, or what kind of things you're interested in. We have a lot of people that are into the outdoors that don't want to go kill anything. They don't want to hunt, but they like to maybe go on a UTV ride, that kind of stuff. That's one way of doing it. And then my recommendation is is to come to our events. We do hold open uh, invitation events. Um, where we look for volunteers and for anybody with a disability. For example, our next big one that we have on the books that I'm, we haven't announced it yet, but we are going to, is that we're teaming up with the DWR uh, for the state of Utah, and we're doing an ice fishing event in Vernal, Utah, at Steinica Reservoir on January 14th. And we'd like as many people as we can. We've got a lot, all kinds of sponsors, like Shields, Eskimo, uh, local sponsors, all kinds of cool prizes that we're going to give away, giveaways, raffles. And uh, that way we could meet these individuals, um, get an idea of what might be a good fit for them. If that doesn't work, 
my next suggestion is we will have a we we just purchased a nice big booth at the hunt expo in salt lake so come see us there we'll have apparel uh, we'd love to meet you get to know you um and uh it's just a kind of a good way to meet people it also to us it shows that you're interested you know we get a lot of you know people that just hit us up on instagram that are you know from all parts of the country and there's like hey take buffalo hunter take me on elk hunt and like well yeah we'd like to but we, we don't know who you are yeah <laughs> so you know. cool man so then on the other side of that if somebody wants to get involved with vo- volunteering or anything like that with that program how do we do that almost the exact same way so you can become our, our an outdoorsman by going on to our website and filling that out and just explain who you are uh or hell man you could just dm me at on instagram at try underscore no feet and just talk to me and and uh hopefully we can get a phone call and see what areas that we can help us on because there's a lot of our events that are going to be the one that we need to help on mm-hmm. um but, you know, there's also other things, too. Like, since we are a 501c3, we could provide a taxable receipt if you guys, if someone wants to donate, you know, you know, funds because, you know, we, ha- we need money to operate or items. Um, some of these hunters don't have certain items, whether it be camo, uh, a weapon, or binoculars. And so that's one nice way people can donate. Um, or, you know, if they just donate their time. You know, for the ice fishing one, you know, that's the project that I'm working on right now. And I, I, I do need guys with tents and augers and, and equipment to to get out there. And Or even some of these uh, disabled individuals have never ice fished before. So sometimes showing them how to do it, it's, it's different. You know, it's not the same as fishing. It's so close, but, you know, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, go onto the website. Same thing. We'd love to see it at the expo. Get your contact information and then just keep in touch as we, you know, post stuff on social and, and our website and our email list, uh, what events we're doing and then just, you know, reach out and say, Hey, how can I help? Or this is what I got. Nice. So perfect. So you are with that Utah chapter. Are there other chapters throughout the country that, you know, if somebody isn't, you know, on the West or anything like that? Yes. Yes. So you have it, we have a Texas chapter. Uh, that uh, that's Weston, where, where, where my buddy that was, uh, you know, originated it from, and then we have a South Carolina chapter that started, and then we will have a Wisconsin one that's coming out live here in the next few months, and then there is talks of trying to orchestrate a Louisiana and a Arkansas. Right. I would like. I have a friend, some friends up in Idaho. Uh, my job might move me up there. So if that's the case, then I would like to get an Idaho one going too. Very nice. Cool, man. Well, I think that covers most of it, unless we miss some important stuff you want to cover real quick. No, uh, I, I, no, I'm grateful for the opportunity. I mean, I, what, uh, what is it, you know, obviously you're explaining, you're just starting this podcast. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. That you would be the, the second guest. And I think you're going to be the fifth episode should come out the Monday after we're recording this. Oh, cool. Cool. Oh, I'm grateful. Thanks so much for letting me on. What, what do you, I, I guess, as you're introducing this podcast to people, and of course I'd love to share it. Like, what do you hope to get out of this podcast and, you know, down the road, what kind of people do you want to interview? What's, what kind of stories do you want to hear? Yeah. I mean, I want to hear anybody that has, you know, 
an inspiring story like yourself or somebody who can educate somebody on, you know, mule deer hunting or elk hunting or antelope or whatever, you know, they kind of specialize in. And even some people that aren't, you know, have a good story to tell. Um, Cause nice. that's kind of the goal. Like, I don't want to just be, you know, you know, just that have my audience be just hunters. Like I want to yeah. be able to get out and, you know, touch everybody. And, you know, even if it is a hunting podcast, like, you know, we're both hunters. We covered a lot of hunting stuff, but there was also a lot of stuff we talked about that wasn't hunting at all. So hopefully yeah. somebody, you know, will listen to this and, you know, if they're not a hunter, maybe this will inspire them to get into the outdoors. Um, yeah. That's kind of the goal with it is to just get more people in the outdoors, get more people educated and inspired. No, I think that's a key thing. I think we do need more people inspired in the outdoors. You know, I, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but yeah, I have a lot of I have a friend that runs a uh, a podcast called Casual Preppers and they're, you know, three million downloads plus. But they they're taking off and it, it even more and more and more because I think people are starting to realize like, hey, you know, you know, people that are smart are you gotta realize that we may be living in a situation where we might need to be a provider. So mm-hmm. I might need to learn some important skills other than all the cool techniques I learned how to beat somebody on Fortnite. I might need to learn how to start a fire by myself, or I need to learn how to camp and bike back and filter water or, or where to find food or, um, you know, food storage and that kind of stuff. Uh, I think that's, I mean, I, I wish you luck at this podcast as you go out and talk to the people, because I mean, it's, it's definitely a subject that can go on and on and on. And there's just so many people out there that are just, you know, cool stories. I love podcasts. that has got some sweet stories. So yeah, I, I wish you luck, bud. Thank you. Yeah. Real quick before we wrap up two questions, I try to ask, or I want to try to ask every guest is one for a, a book recommendation. I try to, you know, reading is something that I try to do quite often. So is there a book, you know, it doesn't even have to be a hunting or outdoors book, just a book that you kind of always go back to. Uh, yes. Can I recommend I recommend one that I that stands out, and I've read it a couple times. Um, it, it's an easy read, so I don't anybody that's all like, oh, you know, who has time to read a book? Uh, and it, I I always recommend reading a book versus books on tape. I mean, if I'm listening to like a non a fiction novel, then I'll listen to a book on tape because it's kind of more of like, you know, you're fantasizing about the story or trying to imagine the story but when it comes to non uh fiction uh i i have read a book it's by an author and a motivational speaker and probably one of my favorite dudes uh his name is ed mylett um he wrote a book it's, it's just recently called the power of one more it's a very easy read he he has one called maxed out that came out before that's even even smaller and an easier read but the one more is gets into depth and it talks really about that extra grind, that one more thing and how much you will have an advantage in your life in every area if you were just push it out and do one more, one more than the next guy or one more than what you think you're capable of. And, you, and, and it's just amazing, amazing uh book that you know that teaches you how to be successful in this i mean we live in a world now that it's just everybody's so weak and and you know we're everything's so easily handed to them 
um, that it, it, it's actually not that difficult to be tough and strong and successful. It's just getting out of that comfort zone and pushing yourself to do one more. So that would be my number one book. It's called The Power of One More by Ed Milet. Nice. Yeah, definitely, definitely one I'll have to check out at some point. Yeah, definitely. Cool. And then kind of going back when you asked me you know, what I'm looking for out of this podcast and all that, what's a, what's a guest that you would recommend for me to have on somebody who you think might have a good story to tell? Ooh. Golly, so many cool stories. Um, like one of my favorite guys. Um, and, and to be honest, he's so busy, but he understands uh he understands like where you're coming from especially as you're starting out new uh but he is like one of the smartest guys his name is uh uh captain james nash um he also on on instagram goes as the six six ranch podcast or six ranch outfitters i think uh is his other handle but he, he has a podcast. It's really, really good. But he was a, uh, a Marine, a tanker, uh, a double Purple Heart. Um, but he's like in his mid-30s. Like he's not very old, but his stories of his life and the things, his experiences, an elk guide, a fishing guide, you know, his times in Iraq. Uh, he's awesome to talk to. And he's very intelligent, too. Um, he's just for someone his age, his uh, manners and attitude is just outstanding. He's one, and a lot of people know him. Uh, and then I have one other one, and he's he works with me on Disabled Outdoorsman. Uh, his name is Mike Felice, um, and he has changed my life in a different way. Like, I used to look at life as, you know, things I, – I used to – like things happen for a reason. I didn't have a huge belief of it. I just thought that's just the way it is. You deal with the cards that you're dealt with and just go, go with what you have, which I, there are some truths that, but for him, I, he's just got a, a unique way of looking at the universe is like whatever good you put into it, there's going to be good putting out. And the same thing with negativity, whatever things that you do, you know, bad karma to somebody, it, it comes back. Uh, and the way he's his life and changed his life to live that way is awesome. And he's a phenomenal hunter. He's one of those OG hunters. He's like, he's 50 years old. You know, social media is not his emphasis. People don't know about it, but he's probably not probably definitely the best hunter I've ever been around and fisherman. Like he catches fish out of a freaking puddle and the deer jumped to his arrow and elk jumped to his arrow and they're honored to be killed by him that's how awesome this dude is so yeah sounds like somebody i'd love to have on here yeah i'll give you his contact and you tell him i said that perfect i appreciate it definitely so real quick before we wrap up uh how can people find you how can people find disabled outdoorsman yeah yeah, like I said, our website is www.doutah.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at do underscore Utah. Uh, excuse me, I lied. It's just do Utah, D-O-U-T-A-H on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, Disabled Outdoorsman, Utah. Uh, and then for me personally, um, I am on Facebook. I'm not as active on it, but I am Sydney Smith, S-I-D-N-E-Y. I'm probably the only Sydney Smith that's missing legs, so that's how you know I'm that guy. And then uh, Try No Feet, T-R-I, 
and underscore no feet on Instagram and TikTok. Perfect. All right. Well, unless you got anything else you want to touch on real quick, I think we covered all of it. No, no worries. I I appreciate it, Caleb. It was a good conversation. I hope I didn't babble too long or bore you. No, not at all. Not at all. I definitely definitely had a great conversation. And, yeah, maybe we'll get to do this again sometime. I'd love to get out and, you know, get out and – I don't think we've met in person yet, but get out and meet you maybe at one of those uh, disabled outdoorsman events in the next year. Oh or so. man, would love to have you. Where, where are you located at? Salt Lake area? So, or? I'm currently in Las Vegas, Nevada, but I'm a couple weeks out from moving down to Arizona. So. Oh, cool, cool, nice. Oh, good. Yeah, if we're ever in the same area, I'd love to connect with you. Absolutely. Definitely, we'll subscribe to your podcast. Appreciate it. Sweet. All right, man. Well, okay. That covers Thanks it again. No okay. problem at all. Thank you so much for ha- for hopping on. Absolutely, I appreciate the opportunity, bud. Okay. All right, you have a good night, man. All right, we'll see you. Yeah. All right, guys. I hope you guys enjoyed that interview with Sydney Smith. Sydney, if you listen, thank you again for coming on. Had a great time. Um, hopefully, we can do it again sometime. Hopefully, I can make it out there for one of those disabled outdoorsman events, and we can meet in person sometime. Um, but again, if you guys want to check out the podcast social media, it's barely underscore backcountry underscore podcast on Instagram. If you want to check out my personal Instagram, it's at c.dillashaw. Um, again, if you're listening to the podcast, make sure you give it a like, a follow, a share, all those good things. And we will see you guys next week. Thank you.